was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even Mason Mount. The children refreshed their favourite podcast apps with care, all in the hopes of a new Football Faithful podcast would soon be there. And here we are, boys and girls, back once again with a festive edition of the Football Faithful. My name's Sam Steen, and joining me, as always, is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? And uh, Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi, Ant. Hi, Sam. How you doing? Not too bad now. Um, well, I, I thought we might have a Christmas miracle and get Cullen Bowie back from the dead, but uh, not this week, perhaps in the new year. Uh, let's start as we always do then, Peter, with the moment of the week. Yeah, don't say that name in front of me anymore. Okay? <laughs> um, you know, I think I'll go with your intro, Sam. That was that was top notch. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lovely uh, intro, that song. Very nice. Yeah, no, I'd say, geez, there was a lot to pick from from um, this weekend. I, I probably would have started on Saturday. I was going to go with like Arsenal fan TV, um, the Arsenal fans turning on Arsenal fan TV, and then people getting very upset because a fan channel that makes money from abusing people were getting abused themselves. <laughs> um, so, but I, I let that go, and I'm actually going to go for a good news story. I'm going to go for Miguel Almiron finally breaking his duck after 427 games for Newcastle. Um, fair play to the lad. You know, he, he arrived, a lot of fanfare last year, um, highly rated from Atlanta United in the MLS. And he, he looked... He looked really good and Newcastle fans delighted Mike Ashley finally put his hand in his pocket, broke that long-standing transfer record, Mike Lone, back in 2006 or whatever it was. But the longer he went without the goal, you just saw the confidence draining out of the boy and it even resulted in that kind of comical situation a few weeks ago when he'd an open goal and he hit it off Alan St. Maxim, St. Maxim. So, uh, yeah, I was actually delighted. And then it was a great finish by him. And then to see the, the raw passion, him running in and, and celebrating with a fan because, you know, football fans made the made the headlines for a lot of the wrong reasons this weekend. But, you know, that's that's one of the reasons we all love football is just that kind of that kind of connection a player can get with a young boy in the crowd. It, it was just brilliant to see. And, and Almiron, I think Shearer said it in Match of the Day and anyone you know, close to Newcastle would say nobody nobody has, has ever questioned how hard he's been working and he's just kept kept going and he finally got his reward. And I think he's actually a, a decent enough player. I'm not saying he's going to go on and, you know, light up the Premier League, but I think he, he could, with a bit of confidence, be a kind of 10-goal-a-season kind of fella. So, uh, yeah, I hope he kicks on now. And, uh, yeah, geez, Newcastle uh, level on points with Man United, Sam. <laughs> They're doing all right. More, more, more on <laughs> that later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and yourself? Uh, I've brought me popcorn tonight for an epic piece of Henry Rance, by the way. <laughs> you know, I could do one of them just before Christmas. Like, you know, I've had one of them for a while. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all in for that tonight. Um, no, it would have to be, um, it's not Premier League related, but, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, seeing Jordan Henderson doing his little his little shimmy again before he lifts another trophy. Um Absolutely brilliant. I'm just, you know, purely for Jordan Henderson, I'm absolutely delighted because I'll be one of the first to admit it. I was never one of his biggest fans um, in the pre-Klopp era. I didn't think he brought enough in terms of technical ability and quality. Um, But he's really, really, really grown into the role as a captain for Liverpool. And um, just seeing how much he enjoys lifting the trophies, how how much he's relishing 
um, being a prize winner with Liverpool. Okay, he'd, he'd won the League Cup back in the day when he signed for us without Gleish, but, you know, proper serious honours. And people can, you know, look down the nose at the Club World Cup, but it's actually quite well thought of throughout the world. Well, well um, actually, very, do you know what? That's yeah. that's where I wanted to start the show proper, actually, because uh, and seeing as you're honest, because it, it seemed to mean more this time. You know what I mean? It, it, of course, the players want to win it, but for the club and for the fans, actually, this wasn't just the Mickey Mouse trophy that it has been in the past. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Sam, I think um, Liverpool hadn't won it before. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a big thing for us. And we, we've lost three finals in it. Now, OK, you, you, you can take different views on it. But I think you, um, European fans tend to take a very European-centric view on it. That is not that major a tournament. But um, South American fans, footballers, pundits, managers, they really rate that trophy highly. Um, I remember when Liverpool lost it in 2006. It was a really, really big deal in in, uh, in Brazil. And when it was Independiente they were lost to. I can't even remember now. It was, it was so long ago. But um, but yeah, it, it, it meant a lot, you know. And, and I was reading quite a few of the old pros from the 80s, reading Mark Lawrence's account of the final in 81. And, um, you know, by the time the tournament was still in its infancy and it was right back in the days of the 1980s when you, you couldn't travel over Soviet airspace, so you had to go west to go east. So it took them something like 20 hours to get to Japan um, with, with a three-hour layover in like uh, Alaska in America. So by the time they got to Japan, the players were absolutely exhausted and knackered. And he played about 48 hours later, and he just weren't fresh at all. And the Brazilian, I think it was um, it was Flamenco's great side with Zico and some of the other players from that fantastic 80s Brazil team, and they took Liverpool apart. So. You know, reading about a few of the near misses and the, the European Cup means so much to Liverpool. Um, and I think one of the big things about it is it, it boosts the profile of your club. And seeing Liverpool win that in the, in the 21st century with, with this global global marketing machine that's constantly churning, social media constantly churning. Uh, every club's trying to look to build its profile overseas as revenue streams. And, you know, it, it means a lot. You know, it, it really is quite an important trophy. And it would have been horrible to go all, all that way um, to play in that bloody heat and humidity in Qatar. I mean, I don't know if any, any of you saw the uh, the size of the pitch. It was absolutely enormous. It was, yeah. it was like about 50 acres, the pitch. And they were, they were having to cover that much ground in that kind of heat. So, and, and losing Oxlade-Chamberlain to an injury, it would have been horrible to have gone all that way and, and not won it as well. So... It was. It was nice. It was uh, nice to see us do it. Um, good one to tick and, off the list, I suppose. And I kind of disagree with you a little bit there when you said that it, you know European football doesn't take it too serious. I, I think it's it's English football that doesn't take it very serious. Yeah, Real Madrid were very happy to have that crest on their jersey the last few years, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I think one of the reasons as well, I was talking, to, I it might be wrong, it was just something I was chatting to one of the lads about the other day. I think one of the reasons for that might be that. The time of year it's played, a lot of the like uh, the Spanish clubs, for example, that's probably their last game before their their you know winter break or whatever. So it's kind of easy to get yourself up for it because then they have a break, they can go away and relax. Whereas with the English clubs, it comes in the middle of the most hectic fixture period of the season. Do you know what I mean? So I think that probably has a bit of a bearing on it as well. It's just not that people just don't care. It's just that. You know, there's so much money involved in the Premier League, and you've got the, the cups in full swing at that stage as well. It probably is a bit of a nuisance because of the fixture backlog. Whereas the Europeans, 
can kind of go and enjoy it a bit more because they know that they have that break on the horizon, you know? And, and I guess maybe, yeah, with, it, do you think it's because of the, the cushion that they have points-wise that they can say, do you know what, we can go all out for this and still probably come back at the end of it with maybe six, yeah. to, six to nine points? Maybe, maybe that's got something to do with it. Yeah, I mean... As I say, losing Oxley Chamberlain's far from ideal, so you, you don't want to go out there and goose your squad too much. But perhaps that was definitely something um, into a contributing factor to how they were thinking it. But um, I just look at uh, my big fear um, for Klopp going into last season was we hadn't won anything for so long, and you know trying to keep hold of some of our top players, keeping them happy. As I say, keeping the club you know relevant as a football club. It's all very well and good harking back to trophies won 15 years ago, but when you haven't won anything major for so long, um, it does. It, it starts to impact on, you know, players coming in and young lads coming in who are 18, 17 and you're trying to sell Liverpool as a football club. So I'm like, well, what have they won? Um, they're not relevant. Man, you have won things. Chelsea have won things. So for Liverpool now, it, this is all about getting the habit of winning trophies again. Um, you know, Klopp won the European Cup last season. Huge, huge, huge sort of millstone off his neck as a manager of Liverpool and also the football club in general took the pressure off us after a lot of a lot of bad years. Um, so now in this new era that we're trying to build, I think if we can get into the habit of lifting trophies, get into the habit of winning, uh, as you know, the eyes of the world watching the foot, watching the game, you know, it, it, it's going to keep on sort of paying dividends in terms of young players looking at Liverpool and seeing you know seeing the winners' medals they could get. There's you know don't forget there's three really high fo- high profile Brazilians in the Liverpool team. And if that trophy means so much to South Americans, that won't be lost on them, hopefully. So, yeah, I think, it, to be honest with you, yeah, there's, it probably is an English thing to dismiss it, but I, I just felt it was very important that Liverpool had to win that this season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, well, they remain top, 10 points clear now with the game in hand. Uh, and just behind them, the I guess you'd say the third best team in the league who are in second playing against the second best team who are in third, but they're now about, whatever. It was City 3, Leicester 1. Um I mean, it was an interesting one, Peter, because City deserved to win, but Leicester were actually still decent despite losing 3-1. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, I was dragged out doing the Christmas shopping, so I only saw the highlights <laughs> on, on match of the day. But, um, and, of course, I, ne- I needed a, a drink after Christmas shopping, so I kind of I did watch match of the day, but I, my memory isn't too, too clear. <laughs> um but no, I did like from from what I saw. Um, Le- Leicester Leicester were decent, but Man City are, are a different level. And and Brendan Rodgers, you know, admitted that afterwards. Leicester have, have been very good uh, t- to go on this run to be ahead of Man City on points at this stage. But Man City, um, their clash on through Kevin De Bruyne, best player in the league so far this season. He's really stepped up over the last. Um, over the last couple of months, I think City could be even further behind if it wasn't for him. Riyad Mahrez never really found a, a consistent run of form um, under Pep Guardiola. We did a pod at the start of the season. Uh, do you remember a, a player from each top six club that needs to could do with stepping up this season kind of thing? And we were saying Mahrez and we weren't sure maybe if... He was a bit too much of an individualist to fit into Guardiola's kind of rigid system. But, uh, you know, I think maybe a little bit of the kind of playing your old club. But he absolutely destroyed Ben Chilwell, England's best left back at the moment, you know. Um, just made made a mockery of him at times. So, um, yeah, like City, City were well worth, worth their win in the end. Nothing for Leicester to be getting too discouraged about. They still are a very good team. 
they, you know, a lot of their strengths were highlighted. Jamie Vardy's movement, his pace, his finishing. Um, Madison did well as well, and Didi was good in part. So, you know, yeah, City are a better team than Leicester. I, I don't think that's any great surprise. Um, but, you know, City's kind of... City's, City go to Wolves next, and on current form, on this season's form, I I, I don't really see them winning that game. Um, I, I think Wolves will, will be really difficult, will be a really difficult nut for them to crack, and with the likes of Jada and, and Traore on the break, they'll They'll um they'll really get at City's backline, you know, them issues, City's defence, them issues haven't gone away. And mm-hmm. even when the port comes back, it's gonna take a, a, a bit of time for him to, to settle back back in. So um Man City are still a class team though. We all knew that, but if anyone was doubting it, um I think Saturday night was kind of proof that they're on form, they're still probably the best football team and footballing team in the country. They can be an absolute joy to watch. And Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best attacking midfielders I, I've ever seen. Very unique in his style. Um, that I suppose if I had to compare him to anyone, and he's, I'd almost say Beckham-esque in the way that he does. He doesn't need to be the player to, um, you know, he just needs an 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 inch of space to to just ruthlessly and, and efficiently put one of his players through on goal or, or pick them out from across. Obviously, like I said, a completely different player to Beckham, but just in terms of his accuracy, his passing, it, it, it's right up there. And he's just a, he's a unique player and he's just, he's, he's a joy to watch. I just love, I said on last week's pod, I said my, um, my moment of the week was watching him in top form against Arsenal. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the show. And again, this week, top, top class. What about Leicester then? And uh, I mean, they, they play you guys next, right? Yes, yes, they do. They do. Always a bugger for us as well, Leicester. Not an easy... But they've got like a little hoodoo over us um, going back years. Um, we always seem to have that wobble against them at some point in the season, so we've got to make sure we turn up um, and do our thing on Boxing Day. But in all honesty, yeah, I, I think Rogers held his hand up after the game and said, you know, it was one of them things, City's individual quality was too much for us. And Pete's absolutely right when he describes De Bruyne as a, as a special player because he had... Um, yeah, he had a few of those Leicester defenders on um, on the back foot for most of that game. I think Soyuncu was 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 done by him a few times as well. Um, and Soyuncu's had a very good season alongside Chilwell. So I think it shows you how good City can be. But what I'd say about Leicester is um, I looked at that game and in full fairness to them, if you're going to go and get beat by City, you may as well do that. I mean, I can't stand it when teams go, especially last season when they just sit back and sit back and sit back and just wait for the goal almost to come. Leicester were very bold. Um, they were very, very courageous on the counter-attack and they, 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 they were pushing City back. Um, I, I think all that won that game for, for City, on, on top of the quality, was that they were just a bit bolder than Leicester because they, they continued to push whilst being pushed. So it was two very high lines with lots of space in behind. But that's what Leicester looked to do. Um, I was very impressed with Harvey Barnes. I think if he got on the end of that chance... Um, I think it was in, in the second half at 1-1. Um, if he gets on the end of that chance, he just just doesn't get his touch on it. But um, I've been really impressed with him since the start of the season. Very quick, very mobile in, in between the lines, always looking to exploit the space. And um, I, I think Rodgers has, has got them really well geared up to uh, to be quite quite devastating on the counter. 
Um, Vardy is just Vardy. Um, he, he's almost evergreen, isn't he? Just doesn't seem to stop running, doesn't seem to run a pace. Um, we did, we've discussed it earlier in the season on the pod that Rodgers is manipulating him and using him to to, to, to harness the most out of him um, with, with his energy so his levels don't drop off. So I think credit to Rodgers for doing that. He's, he's got an extra gear out of Vardy where he was looking to... He looked like he might be tapering off a little bit last season, but he, he really has clicked back into form. So he's still got a lot going for them. Um, as Pete says, I don't think Rodgers and his staff should be too despondent about the results. Um, it just shows you... You know, Alex Ferguson used to say it, you know, that you know, to get into the top four is very, very hard. Once you're in the top four, to compete in the top four against your fellow peers, the level is so high. It's so, so high. And City proved that, you know, when they're on that kind of form, they can beat anybody and they can beat anybody quite comfortably um, when they're in that kind of form. But yeah, um, full credit to Leicester because it was a really entertaining game to watch. Two very bold teams, two very adventurous teams. I think if they carry on playing like that for the rest of the season, they'll be a stitch on for the top four and they'll probably cause Liverpool a few problems. Um, you look at um, there might be tired legs coming back from that trip we've only got Gomez and Van Dijk fit um, at the back at the moment so good. I suppose they might be walking on eggshells a little bit as well um, we've got no Fabinho so we've, we've lost our shield in front of the back four uh, in that regard so they might be looking to try and get in behind um, obviously Liverpool like to press forward as well with Alexander-Arnold and Robertson so it'll be very interesting to see how we cope with that um, I think Henderson um, and Wijnaldum will probably have to double back and do some work if Wijnaldum's fit. I'd certainly get, I'd certainly get him playing because he, he does cover a lot of ground in those games. So I think we're going to need all of our players um, fully on it and fully switched on because I, I, again, a fully flying Leicester team can cause you real problems as they've shown. Well, yeah. To, to get back to to Liverpool just for a second, it's what three games between now and New Year's. Probably the next time we're on. Uh, what, what are you hoping for out of that? Um, Nine we just gotta keep going. Well, obviously, yeah. obviously nine points, but like realistically, like it's, nine, it's a, seven. No, it's a, uh, no nine. Uh, I, I think that's that's how we've got to be. Um, if we're going to win this league, if we're going to get this league boxed off and, and get that monkey off our shoulder, we've we've got to keep on going with that mentality. Um, obviously, you know, they don't want to lose any games, um, but I don't. You know, the, the, the thing is, the second we start dropping points some of the question marks come straight back at you. You know, oh, Liverpool going to cope mentality-wise. So, yeah, OK, it, it might be a bit over-optimistic, but I think Klopp will certainly be looking at getting nine points from nine games. And no disrespect to any of the opposition we've got, but that's how we've got to be. That's how we've been all season. That's how we've been since the start of last season, to be honest with you. So, yeah, um, I, I think purely from a, a ruthless, ambitious point of view, um, fatigue's definitely going to play a part. We're going to have to use the squad. It's a shame we can't get our new lad. Um, 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 what's his name? Um, bloody hell! I'm out here, lads. What's his name? Did he sign him? Um, Minamino. Um, Minamino. Shame we can't get him until January because he would have been very uh, useful to have those extra legs up front. But we're definitely gonna have to use a squad. I think Origi's gonna get some game time. Cater has looked a bit brighter in recent weeks, so maybe um, Cater will play a few games. The only my only concern about him is he fades in some of the more important matches. Like he's done well, and you know the, he scored one overnight in the World Club Championship, but. Klopp does tend to favour the likes of his, his workhorse trio, so Milner, Henderson and Wijnaldum. Um, so if we can get those three, you know, sort of nurse them through those fixes, we might have a chance. But they're definitely going to have to use the squad because it's uh, tough fixes uh, coming up over the Christmas period. I was trying to help you there, Ant, but I was on mute. But you were getting so close, you were going, mim, 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 mim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just I mean, could... I mean, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I really <laughs> 
Eeny, eeny, miny, moe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, let's go on to uh, to Chelsea then. They beat Spurs 2-0. And uh, unfortunately, there's loads to talk about in this game off the pitch. But uh, but on the pitch, um, well, what did you make of this? I mean, Chelsea were, were very good. Were, were Spurs poor? I mean, I know they had a man sent off. Uh, and it's still early days. Mourinho hasn't had a huge amount of time with them on the pitch. Uh, what was the What was the difference between the two sides? Yeah, I thought I thought Chelsea were absolutely superb. Uh, one of well, their their best display under under Lampard. I know they were very very good in the first half against Man City, um, but he, he hasn't really been getting good results against the top six despite putting in some some good performances. So I'd say he'd be delighted to get that win against his you know his former boss against. You know, there's a big rivalry between Spurs and Chelsea. But I, I thought to a man, <clears throat> I thought Chelsea were absolutely superb. I thought Lampard got his tactics spot on. Mourinho, Mourinho didn't seem to know how to handle it. Normally Mourinho, you know, Mourinho at his best was very good at, at rectifying situations like that in the game. But they just had no answer uh, during, the, during the first half. And like I said, to a man... You know, the three centre-backs were really good. They were really aggressive. They were not just in their duels, but in the positions they took up. They pushed right up the pitch. I thought Alonso's a brilliant wing-back, right? He got he gets a lot of stick when he has to play left-back because he's not, yeah, he's just not very defensive-minded. But, like, his cross and his his ability to bomb forward, even his shooting is, is absolutely excellent. So you really, they really highlighted his strength playing him as a wing-back. Um, I thought, you know, Jorginho had to drop out. Kante was superb. Kovacic was was excellent. Mason Mount was really, really good, and Tommy Abraham was was a real handful for for. He kind of made all the world look a bit a bit like yesterday's man a bit at times. Um, so they, all over the pitch, they were they were superb. Just you know, whatever about tactics, whatever they, they're just their intensity. They're they're they look like they wanted it more than Spurs and. Kind of, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd, I'd be kind of concerned because there was like Carl last week was saying how he was happy that you know they kind of shit housed that win at Wolves, which is kind of a trademark of Mourinho. But there was trademarks of the kind of later stages of Mourinho that weren't good either. There was quite often when the three cent- Chelsea's three centre backs had the ball, you you saw kind of saw Spurs really dropping off, being you know n- not going and pressing. Um, which you know I, I would assume they were under instructions to do. They didn't really seem there was no conviction to Spurs play. They didn't really seem to believe in what what they were trying to do. That they were yeah Spurs Chelsea just their attitude quite simply seemed seemed a lot better than Spurs. Um, and just strange decisions like I I don't like Vertonghen as a fullback not not when he's in his thirties anyway. Um, I remember in the United game, as soon as I saw the t- team sheets, I said, why are you playing him up against Daniel James, you know? Um, he keeps picking er- Eric Dyer because he likes him, but Eric Dyer hasn't been at the top level for about three or four years now. Moussa Sissoko and him are, are poor in the centre, um, and he ended up switching Lucas Moura t- to left-back. Now, in the second half, when he did kind of match up Chelsea's system, they did kind of... The game became more even, but Chelsea were probably still edging it. And then, obviously, the you know the the um, the Son sending off kind of you know you never really saw Spurs coming back into it then. Um, but can, I suppose you kind of 
I'd say Mourinho was kind of thinking, listen, we were really poor in the first half, but we really should have went in 1-0 down because that, well, even the first goal, Serge Aurier, he gave away the corner when he probably shouldn't if he just got his position in right. Um, and then he's too slow out to William, let him cut inside too easily. And then Gazaniga, I, what are you doing, man? Yeah, I mean, like, William... William's finish for the first one, Peter, was brilliant. But the second one, I mean, the problem is that we've got so many pricks of the week later that I think we need to, like, just highlight what a prick Gazaniga was. <laughs> oh, absolutely epic of epic proportions. Like, De Gea's howler was bad. But, like, the ball would have went into the net if De Gea didn't feebly attempt to save it, right? But, like, Gazaniga could have let that ball go. He could have remembered he had... He's allowed to use his fucking hands. Um <laughs> But like he came out like like a, like the ball's nearly out of play by the time he connects with Alonso. And the one thing that I don't think has been highlighted enough is that the referee was Anthony Taylor, wasn't it? The ref? Yeah, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. He, he gave a free kick the other way. I know, yeah. It, 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 it had to go to VAR for it. Like, if you ever want proof that, like, goal, like a, a, ref's, a ref's natural reaction in any situation involving a goalkeeper is just by default to give the goalkeeper a free kick. Yeah, yeah. He, he came one. out like one of the lads in the Streets of Rage, you know? Like, just... The... <laughs> yeah, and it was like that one. Superman. Free kick and, like... Like it was, like he should have been sent off. That's that's way more violent conduct than what Son did. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, like the Son one, I like letter of law, all the rest. But I personally think, and it, I, I texted into the group, and Deck came back with with kind of with a funny response to it. But like I think sometimes the way Son went down, and when somebody's above you like that, and your feet are up. Your natural reaction to protect yourself is to kick up a little bit. I know it's petulant, letter of law. He deserved probably to be sent off. But, like, Gazaniga's was absolutely reckless. Like, he could have taken your man's head off. And it was just completely unnecessary. It was just absolute madness by the by the. He tried to clothesline him with his legs, didn't he? It was just bizarre. As you say, I think he forgot he could use his hands. He almost takes his head off, doesn't he? It's, it's crazy what he was doing. Like, I have yeah. no idea. But like yeah, like all in all, like concern him for Spurs because they were, you know, they were they were poor against Man United as well. You know, they've won games, but they've been conceding goals. There does seem to be there does seem to be issues there within the camp. I think as well, like starting, you know, starting Aria as well. Is you know, there's always kind of like you you said oh it was great finish by William Sam but yeah he, but Aurier gave the corner away because he got caught under the ball yeah and he headed it back and then he's too slow getting out you know he didn't even surely you're a bit more turned on when it's you've made the mistake to give away the corner you know what I mean um it was and, and it was he, if you look at the replay of William's goal he's not even looking as William's taking that touch he's, he's not even looking at him is he no. he's just completely pathetic defending you know, Danny Rose, surely he has to be a better option at left-back than Vertonghen. I know he's not in the best of form and all, but I think that just kind of shows the fa- and even Harry Winks to, to be brought into midfield because the, the, the lack of the lack of um, quality passing in the centre of the park between Dyer and Sissoko is, is re- was really, really poor. So, yeah, I'd be concerned because they were just quite meek, I thought, Spurs. Even though the game seemed to be Kind of on the verge of spilling over with little spits and spats, 
Spurs didn't have any intensity in their play, whereas Chelsea did. And um, yeah, it just seemed to be one group of players really buying into what their manager were, wanted to do, and the other one not so much. And like even Mourinho, you'd expect a bit more. Like he was even very respectful and kind of, you know, there was no shit house for you out of Mourinho, which you know, like it's like it was almost like like it wasn't even a big deal that he was playing Chelsea, you know, which normally it. It is like there's a lot of needle there. Um, it was all a very respectful. And some people might say, oh, yeah, that's the right Mourinho. You know, we want to see more of that from Mourinho. But I, it kind of looks to me like maybe has he lost a bit of fight or something? Because I think people sort of was expected that about Mourinho. You know, people don't like it. But I always think he's just a cold-hearted winner. He'll do whatever he has to do. And I think I just thought it was a very meek performance by Spurs. Um yeah, a lot of questions. He seems like yesterday's man, doesn't he? With, with, with some of the singing, you, you saw that man you a few times, but you know, taking Dyer off and putting Ericsson on is okay. Yeah, you want a bit more supply to the to, to the forward line who were getting starved all game, but Ericsson hasn't been playing well all season, and he was terrible when he came on. His radar was all off. It was obvious what he was trying to do. You know, it was just, it was just a really bland substitution. So yeah, he, came on, he, he came on to start like right. picking forward passes out, and he just kept laying it back to the centre backs all the time. But like, I, I think to, to be well, two things, right? On the on the negative side of Mourinho, it definitely looks like he's yesterday's man in the big games. It used to be, even if his team wasn't in form, you'd always fancy Mourinho in a game against a top rival, even if it's shit house and a one nil. Because I, I, I'll be honest, before that game, Chelsea weren't in good form. I, and I think a lot of other people, expected Spurs to win at 1 or 2 nil, score a goal, shut up shop, frustrate Chelsea, just kind of show more game now, stand them, better game management. But it completely flipped on its head. Chelsea were absolutely superb and, and deserved. 2 nil was almost flattering to Spurs, if, if I'm perfectly honest. I do think on the other side, Mourinho, not to... Not to um, kind of be sticking up from but one kind of factor that one thing that we'd have to factor in it I think the likes of Ericsson the Rose situation they're players who are already halfway out the door and he's inherited that there was definitely things wrong behind the scenes and I don't think it's directed at Mourinho I think it's probably with Levy and how the club is run but that was a very it, 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 oh, during the last few months months of Pochettino it did seem like a, a, a a squad of players that weren't really together and were struggling behind the scenes, and I think that's quite evident because they, yeah, they, they did not, they, they were really, really poor yesterday, um, and yeah, they, like I, I, but I kind of, I expected Spurs to win it, and I thought once, once Spurs go ahead, because they would have went ahead of Chelsea on goal difference, I thought if, if, if they get ahead, you know, Mourinho will keep them there, but. Yeah, I, I felt a lot different after that 90 minutes, I'll tell you that. I think uh, massive questions for Spurs and Mourinho. And uh, yeah, Chelsea, um, what a massive boost for Lampard, everything he's trying to do there because they were absolutely, like I said, to a man, brilliant Chelsea. One of the best performances I've seen all season, if I'm honest. I, I love the intensity that Chelsea started the game with. I think I was very impressed with... Um... With how they, they, they kind of focused on Olier uh, for the first 20 minutes with Willian and Mount and everything was going down that channel. And then he switched it to the other side and he had to go for Tonga and he was really, really flat-footed at left-back. And I, I was just um, I was just taken aback by how fired up Chelsea were for the first 45 minutes and how flat Tottenham were. Everything was just same, 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 safe passing and 
you know, just there's no penetration whatsoever. It was just very, um, very odd to see. And I think if you're Tottenham, the, the question you've got to be asking from the fans is, you know, you've sacked Pochettino, fine, that's done, that's in the past now, and you've got Mourinho in, okay, so this is the situation you're in, but, you know, is he really, are you getting the Mourinho from, from a few years ago, or are you getting like this, as people are saying, um, the shades of what he was doing at Man United, which was quite outdated tactics, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a few unhappy plays at the club there, Mourinho hasn't really got a, a track record in the last few years of, of helping some of these players and getting them out of a rut, and if I was, if I'm being honest, watching Spurs, a lot of those players were playing like that. Um, just didn't look like they wanted to be there. Some of them, okay, yeah. All the um, Vertonghen at left back was was a terrible decision. Um, he, you know, he's not the not the quickest in the world anyway, so that's got to contribute to it. Um, but Ericsson was so poor when he came on. Um, I thought Deli Ali was very very subdued. Um, he, he technically very good on the ball at times, but. You know, in a game like that, you know, it's a big derby, massive game. If Spurs had won that, they go above um, Chelsea. A lot at stake, and there was just there was no there's no intensity, no fire there. And you know, if you're a Spurs fan, you know you you at least expect to see your players to be up for it. So there's big questions there. I, I think Mourinho will definitely take them forward in terms of making them competitive to win a trophy. And you know, perhaps that's the motivation that Levy's got to bring Mourinho in to try and boost Spurs up and get the profile raised. But Looking at how they were on the pitch, I, I don't think they're in for like a, um, a tactical golden era the way they were under Pochettino, where at the times they were playing some lovely stuff and the switches of play, the transitions between the lines were so quick, the pressing. I don't think that's going to be there under Mourinho, so maybe they're going to have to get used to a few more sort of attritional performances, but they need a few players to come in who actually want to be there because I think that that's, that's a massive issue there for Spurs. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. They're definitely going to, have, going to have to get used to it, aren't they, Peter? Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Uh, anyway, right, still to come, we'll chat about uh, well, we'll chat about United, we'll chat about Arsenal and Everton, uh, but first, should we do a round of the quiz? Yeah, go on, go on. Uh, Right then, lads, so uh, usual drill or usual thing, uh, you identify the player by the teams that he's played for, however, this week there's also a bonus point because there are festive puns <laughs> to all of the players' names, okay? So if you say the the festive pun name... You get an extra point. Okay, simple as that. Yeah, this will this will not end well. <laughs> right, uh, th- this I know the answers before you've even said one of the players. But go on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. So th- this player began his career at uh, Olympia. And. And. Rocky Santa Cruz. It's Rocky Santa Cruz. Very good. Two points. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to be one of them. <laughs> uh, I had to start with the easy one. So two points around. Right. Uh, player number two began his career at... Uh, let's go with this one. Began his career at Leeds United. Went from Leeds to Aston Villa. And. And. Oh, no, it's not Christmassy. Um, James Milner. Not no, it's Newcastle. Bollocks. No, sorry. Go on. <clears throat> uh, so Leeds to Villa and did a, another short spell on loan back at Leeds during that time before going to Manchester City. Yeah, Went from City to Everton. And that's where he is now. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Peter. Peter. Fabian Delph. It's Fabian Delph. I'll give you the point. I would have taken Fabian Elf for two points. Oh, <laughs> this is really dropping me off. <laughs> uh, right, I'll give you one more. Uh, right. 
It's uh, this player began his career at Newcastle United. Chris Waddle. Not Chris Waddle. <laughs> so while at Newcastle, he had a loan spell at Preston North End. Peter. Peter. Steve Howie. Not Steve Howie. Preston. Oh, Ant. 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 Andy Christmas Carol. It's Andy Christmas Carol. Very good for two points. Just facing ahead with the puns. Go on. I don't know why I thought Howie could be made into a pun. Right, we'll move on. And uh, well, let's talk about maybe the worst game of football that's ever happened between Arsenal and Everton. I mean, it's funny because literally nothing happened in the game. There's very little to talk about, but there's plenty to talk about off the pitch. It was, it was a weird situation because neither of the managers on the sideline were going to be the managers for the next game, but both teams were being watched by their future managers. Would, you, would they not just come down and just like sit on the bench for the game or, or like just... Anyway, who cares? Uh, let, let's talk about Arsenal first. Um, Arteta's in. Is that going to make a difference? Yeah. I don't, I'm really sort of, um, I'm going to go out and say, I don't think Arteta's a good appointment. I, I think it's it's full of risk. Um, he's, he, uh, the Arsenal job is so big. It needs so much work on it. I don't think they need a rookie coach learning on the job. He's, he's got a great reputation as a coach. He's, you know, Guardiola thinks very highly of him. I think he was very disappointed to lose him. There was talk of um, a bit of friction and conflict behind the scenes at City over the, um, over the move to Arsenal. So, Clearly, Guardiola didn't want to lose his, his right-hand man, so that's got to count for something. But I don't know. The only thing I could think of with Arteta is he, he probably knows some of the players there and he might be able to get a bit of 10% extra out of them. But then, that being said, Lundberg's been there for years behind the scenes. And I, I don't know. It, it's, to me, it, just, it seems like it needs a proper manager to go in there with a CV who can go and kick a few, you know, go and kick a few asses, go and go and change a few of the things up a little bit because that they were so bad against Everton. We were talking about Man City last time before as the, the, the amount of quality in the game and two bold teams who, who wanted to win and, and create chances. I mean, it was it was a 44 minutes it took Arsenal to have to have a shot in that game. Um, Martinelli, and it wasn't even like, you know, it was just a half chance he put, he put wide. Um, you know, the... They've become such a middle-of-the-road team, um, very easy to contain, very predictable. Um, Arsenal used to be, a, you know, at least Arsenal used to be a very good possession team and they'd, they'd work the ball around you. You used to wince when you gave the ball away to Arsenal because it would be like five minutes of chasing before you got the ball back and it would knacker your players out. But even that sort of fact has gone now. And, you know, I, I was looking at them in the second half against, Arsenal, against Everton and you're thinking, you need to step this up in terms of your pace and your tempo because... You know, Yerry Mina was was really marshalling the line for Everton. You could see them getting organised, and you, you know, no disrespect to Everton, but a team like that, you know, they, they've got to have a few games in them every season where they can, can shut up shop and they can contain, especially when the opposition is so timid and, and slow in, in front of them. But one of the things that really struck me, and you know, I think there was there was a few articles on the site about it. You know, I think Abumiang's brother's been given. Um, given it large in the fresh uh, the, the um, French press about him wanting to leave and not being not being very impressed with the Arteta appointment, but I was looking at that lineup um, against Everton and what he was playing with, and then you look at the bench and you've got um, Lacazette, Pepe, and Willock, and you know the, the bench is full of creative, fast players who, who can change the game. And you, you, if you're a Bimbiang, you sat there up front with, with no service in, in a terrible game of football, and then you're hooked on 78 minutes for Lacazette to come on for like the last 12 and you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Why don't you, why don't you be bold and put them both on together? So if you're, you know, God knows what's going through his mind. He's a top-class player on his day, Bumiang. So 
you can see players there getting unsettled and you can see why. Um, and, you know, OK, Arteta's a very well thought of guy in, in, in the football fraternity, I suppose. But did he really need a rookie to go in and be learning on the job there? Um, you know, there's, there's so much that needs fixing there. You know, that's before we've even talked about the defence. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the goalkeeper either. So I think there's a lot of work there. It's at least two or three transfer windows before, you, you know, that Arsenal team is probably going to be able to compete again for the top for the top four, let alone the top six. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not sitting on the fence here, but I just don't think Arteta is the man to do it, personally. Yeah, tough one. Tough one. I, I don't... I think we talked about it last week. I, like, by all accounts, Allegri was approached and basically said, no, um, I don't like the squad. Um, I think there's other managers out there that might have taken it because it's Arsenal and it's probably a big enough contract. It's very, you know, still a prestigious job. But you sit down and you look at that squad and you say that the Aubameyangs, the Lacazette, very, very talented players, but the two of them play in the same position. Um, you've got Ozil, you've got the defence, is it's just a disaster. Um, I don't, you know, the, the best defensive coach in the world would struggle to start keeping clean sheets with that defence. That's just the reality of it. Um, it's their own, you know, they didn't need to go, you know, they could have spent some of that 72 million they spent on Nicolas Pepe. Um, on on, a, on some decent defenders, you also I I just think the whole squad, the attitude in the squad that had you know we all talked the last few years of Wenger, the kind of the, the the lack of the lack of a character within the squad, never any issues with their a lot of their playing ability, good technical footballers, but you know very proper football football manny stuff, but you know there's just blatantly lack. Um, Lack steel, game management, all those kind of things you need to be successful. And it's just right the way through the team. I think I said it last week. The, the fact Lacazette's one of these people who has his brother coming out saying things, um, you know, he's an extravagant ca- character and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, making somebody like him your captain, is, it just shows what kind of dressing room you have. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's one of these who's all over social media you know, palling with all the fan accounts and stuff like that. So to make him your, your captain just shows what a malaise there is at the club. Um, it's just, they need to rip. I don't even think, I think any manager will struggle with that group of players, if I'm honest, because they're very, very flaky. Um, they'll be okay for a while, but when the going gets tough, they'll they'll throw their toys out of the pram and, and it'll look bad. You know, you're saying that they had the likes of Lacazette on and... Um, and Pepe on the bench. If, if I remember the interview correctly with um, with Youngberg afterwards, he pretty much said he dropped a lot of the big name players because their attitude, because they didn't put in effort in previous games. You know, so it, it just shows that it, it's it, it's just a it's, sorry. It's that, isn't it? It just shows you, yeah, you know, as you it's, say. It's, it's a bad like. There's a lot of it's a bad group of players. I'm not saying they're all bad people, but there's too many people with maybe not the right attitude together. Um, Who would you rather be then? Would you rather be Arteta taking over at Arsenal or Ancelotti at Everton? I'd still still rather be be go to to Arsenal, if if I'm honest. I think the Everton job is a tough job because because I think Everton fans expect 
Everton to be better than Everton are. And I think they maybe yeah. think that Everton are a bigger club than what they are. Like Everton are a massive club. I know they've a lot of they won a lot of stuff in, in the eighties and, and gone back even further. They're they're a massive club. You know, there's ninety-two professional clubs in in England and Ever, Everton are probably the seventh or eighth biggest. So they're a massive club, but there's a massive chasm between Everton and the kind of top six. And that's the way it is. And I think I've seen it the last few seasons. They've spent a lot of money. And I think their fans expect it to happen a bit too fast. And then they turn on the manager. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd much rather be. I'd much rather be. Actually, would I rather be? I don't know. I wouldn't like to be. It's a rock and a hard place, really, Sam, because there's massive issues at, at both clubs. I think with Everton, at least, there's the ambition there and they want to start moving forward. With Arsenal, with Arsenal, it's maybe even a bigger job because you have a even a bigger expectation than Arsenal and uh, than Everton. And then you have all this other stuff that surrounds the club and the Arsenal fan TV and stuff. And um, the problem is players are interacting with it. Um, that, that's a big issue. We're at a stage now that, you know, you, you can't tell players not to do that anymore. Um, I think back in the day, they, Fergie and that would have just straight up banned them from, from being involved, from even having social media accounts. And that's not right either. Um, but, you know, you just saw the Arsenal fan TV. That, that was bigger news than the actual game. And quite often it is. Um, I, like I've seen your man Robbie, he genuinely seems like a decent bloke, but at the end of the day, he's he's made his money from from people going on rants. There's zero, very little uh, football and insight provided by the Arsenal fan TV. It's just all rants, basically. All their top videos are rants. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest. It, that's that's a perfect segue to go in to talk about United, but I'll, I'll let you keep going for a little bit. Okay, yeah, no, <laughs> but you know, and. Um, the reality is most most people who watch it aren't Arsenal fans. Most Arsenal fans are, are embarrassed by it. That's their whole model. It, it's by getting people on that rant. And it, it's just people, like I saw people online after and going, well, if you don't like Arsenal fan TV, don't watch it. But it's not that easy because it dominates everybody's uh, timeline, even if, you know, on social media. Even if you don't follow them, people are sharing things, blah, blah, blah. It's headline news. It's not like you can just not watch Arsenal fan TV and not hear about it. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and, and that's kind of maybe that's something that a lot of people can learn from going forward is when, you know, such a negative influence surrounds a club. Um, it, it, this it, is it, what I don't get about the artistic appointment, Pete, because, you know, with, with the artistic appointments, any, any firm-minded football fan as we've all both just said then, there's so much work that needs to be done at Arsenal. Any fair-minded, even an Arsenal fan who's impatient and wants success, you know, you'd say, OK, give Arteta at least 18 months because, you know, it's, that, that job needs a lot of work and these problems aren't the problems he's made. But he's not going to get that time because, you know, OK, people say don't watch Arsenal fan TV, but it's always there and yeah. it creates that impatience, it creates that fiery reactive as you said there's no football inside it's just people moaning about everything uh, there's no comment there's no sort of middle ground everyone's either great or shite there's no there's no middle ground like you know Darren Fletcher was talking about Jordan Henderson before and how like he's a good player and I think that's that's what people forget you know but you, you've mentioned it on the pod a few times about McTonomy at Man United you know people just want to take a wrecking ball and smash a club up but sometimes actually in amongst some of these players there are actually players to work with and Arteta, you know, with his coaching background, might be able to get a little bit out of some of these players. But 
you, you, you fear for him as, as a decent football man going into that job because it's it, it is almost becoming like a poison chalice in a neck. And I, I know, okay, they've only had two managerial appointments since Wenger's retirement, but you know, it's becoming it's, it's becoming a circus. It's becoming a you know, it's becoming you know, people are sniggering at the club. The dignity is being dragged through the mud, and it's one of the it's one of the proudest football institutions in England. Yeah. So you know, I think you have to you've got to look longly and carefully at that Arsenal fan TV. You can't ban it, of course. You can't do that, but you know, you've, there's, there's got to be a way of kind of uh, censoring's the wrong way, but just sort of going in there and saying, "Hang on a minute," you know, that's. Let's just be careful with the amount of vitriol you're putting forward because well, I guess it's, it's the fans themselves, right? It's the fans who are going to turn against it themselves, and they'll just like vote with their clicks. They're just going to yeah, like, clicks. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I'm saying, Sam. It's not. It's not. Most are like any Arsenal fan I know hates it. Yeah, that's it, true. It, yeah, I, that I watch true. Arsenal fan TV when Arsenal lose because it's hilarious. But but they're going to stop going on it. They're going to stop standing around it. They're going to stop making it the spectacle that it is. And if it's just if it's just Robbie and fucking whatever the guy's name just standing by themselves, it's it doesn't it's not the same. You know what I mean? It's not as entertaining as when they're surrounded by all these people, you know, goading them on and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, there's no publicity like bad publicity, or you know, there, you know what they say? There's yeah. no no publicity is bad publicity or whatever. So. Still, they're making the headlines, you know, and and it's not to say they're all bad or anything like that. It's just that it's just shown Arsenal, like Arsenal fan TV, is just shown what a negative in, impact a, a, a fan channel can have. And I'm not like, geez, I'm not living in fancy that I think Arsenal fan TV is making the players go out and play poorly, but it just seems to be so much just, around Arsenal. It just seems to be. Player, so many players that probably aren't in the right character. You've got the fan TV. You've got owners who don't know what they're doing. You even look at the, or don't care really. They just want to make money. Um, you know, you look at even the recruitment process to to get Arteta in. Like by all accounts, he was pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered for him to take over. And then they changed their mind at the last minute and got Emery in. Like, the thing with Youngberg, he was coming out last week and basically calling out the board to make a decision, basically like it was a cry for help. So you just look at how everything's been handled there. It's 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 a, it's a an absolute mess um, of a club. At least Everton did it a little bit quicker with, with Ancelotti, although they were probably quite lucky that Ancelotti got sacked by, by Napoli, you know? Um, so, yeah, two jobs that, that are kind of difficult. If, if push come to... I kind of change my mind almost and say, like, do you know, no, but do you know what I'd say? I'd say Everton would have been a better job for Arteta and Ancelotti would have been yes, better for yeah. Arsenal, maybe. I but I still don't death. think Arsenal, I still don't think Ancelotti would be that good for Arsenal because I think Ancelotti is, is, is better at going into clubs that have, you know, experience almost winners already there and he kind of facilitates and and man, man manages very well whereas I think Arsenal Arsenal need them Arsenal players need a solid kick up the arse and they need someone to go in with a clear tactical plan and say this is where they're playing and I think Arteta does have that it's whether the personalities in the dressing room allow him to do that will be the defining factor I think and I don't think they will uh, right then, do, do you want a minute to gather yourself before we launch into United, or uh, are you all right? Oh. All right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, well, we knew. Well, you knew it was coming, Peter. Uh, you called us in, in advance. Watford beat United two nil, and uh, and United never looked like winning the game or being in the game even. Yeah, that's that's the kind of. Um, I'm I'm not going to go on a rant, Sam. 
because, well, I'm going to go into this little discussion with the intention of not going on a rant. I can't guarantee I won't. But, um, yeah, no, I think, like, did I say on the pod last week we'd probably lose? Because that's what I've been saying all week. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's just, this is just the type of game that I expect Man United to to start slowly, to kind of wait for something to happen. Um, this was, was pre-Solskar as well, mind you. Um, just still no, I don't know what they work on in training every week because they have a really glaring issue that they can't create against, you know, not even teams that like get 11 men behind the ball, but just basically teams that don't always press high and leave a lot of space behind. You know, it's not as if they're struggling against teams that just shut up shop completely. Um, and that it just it it just all came came to fruition again. Um, really really poor. Like I said, I think I've said a few times after the West Ham game, the Bournemouth game, losing losing an away game to any team in the Premier League, even if they're a team in around the relegation things, it can happen once or twice a season. Um, it, it's the crowd can get in your back. You just don't start well. The other teams up for it. Um, they they play out of their skin. You don't play your best. It happens. It happened all. It, it happened when United were winning leagues. Uh, it, it it can happen. That's not concerning. The, the concern, the biggest concern for me is Watford didn't even really play well yesterday. Mm. West Ham didn't have to play well. Bournemouth didn't have. Teams don't even have to play well. Like I already thought we'd lose, and then when I saw Troy Deeney was back, I just went, yeah, we're, they'll they'll just be. They'll just have more balls than we will on that pitch. Um, you know, I, to be fair, both of the goals were massive mistakes. De Gea, an, abs- an absolute howler, and Wambasaka, a, a terrible, terrible tackle to give away the to give away um, the the penalty. But like, I, I'm kind of it's, it's difficult for me to speak about United Sam without repeating myself because. It is repetitive. Well, that, well know, then, the, the question I want to... Well, I'll ask a question then and give you something, which is... Uh, well, actually, unfortunately, it's me repeating myself because last time we were saying how uh, those good results had given Solskjaer credit in the bank. Now we've had the 1-1 draw with Everton. We've lost 2-0 to Watford. Is that... Are, are we now starting to... And kind of quieting down those Pochettino uh, rumours and chats and stuff like that. Are they back on the table now? Well, I, like I said it before, I think it's a dereliction of duty if United aren't sound, sounding out Pochettino. Um, I think Solskjaer, you know, Solskjaer, United's problems with the structure, with the owners, aren't going to disappear by getting rid of Solskjaer. Um, that's perfectly clear. But to absolve him of blame, like, you know, you can talk about structure, you can talk about owners. A, a coach is working with a group of players. If he, If he has absolutely no clear even attempts or tactical plans to overcome their creative issues week in week out against teams below them in the, in the league that's that reflects really poorly on him if he can't have his players up for away games that reflects poorly on him that's you know it's too easy to say everything i know that the structure and the owners are huge problems probably the biggest problems but solskjaer has to take some responsibility and what worries me at times is it looks like it looks like he's almost been told it doesn't matter how we perform, you're safe because it doesn't even seem to bother him that we're losing. It's all ha- it's you know, oh well we're you know any t- his default is just say we're building something or we're you know, we'll get better at this, we'll get better at that. But no man, you have to live in the present moment and this is just constantly happening. 
Um, I don't like this, just get behind the manager and shut up. There's so many glaring weaknesses. These performances are absolutely embarrassing. They're abject. Um, and you can predict them before they come. Which would, is the would they be better under a different manager, Peter? I think under Pochettino, yeah, 100%. Um, I, think I, think would, yeah. I don't think it's even anybody who saw the impact Poch had at Southampton and Spurs when he went in there. If they want to try and tell me any different, then good luck. Um, I'll tell you what, can, can, I, can I just say, as, as I, again, I always say I'm, I'm not the biggest neutral when it comes to Man U, but... As a Liverpool fan, I, I still regard Manchester United as our biggest rivals in terms of top of the tree, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, in that elite bracket of clubs. And as a Liverpool fan, I genuinely, hand on heart, want Solskjaer to stay and used to avoid going for Pochettino because I think Pochettino would come in and turn that club around. He's done it. He, he, he turned Espanyol from a relegation-threatened team in La Liga to a team in Europe. He, he, he turned Southampton around. He, he got Tottenham to a Champions League final. He's a top-class coach with top-class pedigree. He goes in and inherits... What, we've all said that on the pod. There's the nucleus of a good team at Man U. Mm-hmm. Um, if he goes in and inherits that, then he, I, I can almost guarantee you he, he'd turn result, results around and he'd at least get the players fighting and pressing and thinking about what they were doing. You know, I, I think with Solskjaer, sometimes it's almost like he's shrugging and going, well, you know, they haven't turned up. What can I do? It's like, well, you're the manager, mate. It's like you've been there for 12 months. It's like, okay, you, you didn't create this mess, but you, you're not doing anything to fix it. So, as, as, as you say, as, as a man, as man, you're Manchester United. You've got to strive for the, the biggest and the best. And it's no, it's, you're not a fake fan. You're not a bad fan for saying that. You know, there was a lot of animosity at Liverpool for like some of the criticism towards Rodgers when he was there. It's like, oh, give him time, give him time. It's like, yeah, but he's not going to get time. And the longer we take with results going backwards, you, you become irrelevant as a football club. Yeah. You don't think, you know, that, that that's a problem, isn't it? You, you you need someone there to make you competitive. You know, even when you look on the bench, lads, like it, it doesn't even look like he's in control. It looks like he's turning around asking his his little coaching triumphant for 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 answers. Basically, you know, it it just seems to lack a, a authority. Um, and yeah, like I said, just the the. the the, the constant need to kind of tell us that we're building towards something. So, well, like, you can't take away them two results against Man City and the performances. They were superb. But to drop off so bad, you know, we've all... I highlighted last week the way we've only taken 11 points from the teams, you know, from the non-top six teams and wherever it is, 14 from games again against the top six. And that, that's a sign. Like, Solskjaer has to take responsibility. Why week in, week out do they have no... Like, there's no... Again, repeat myself, no combinations, no attacking patterns, nothing against uh, against when they can't play easily on the counter-attack. And if that means you have to shuffle your pack in between games to bring different players in, so be it. But there's just so many players that are just more suited to, to playing in a counter-attacking style because, you know, it's like McTominay and... and McTominay and Fred look really good when they just have to spoil and lay things off or kind of play balls into you know, into big open spaces for the pacey wide men to run on to. Um, but then, it, like in the game yesterday, when they're expected to get in the ball and make things happen, they just don't really have the quality. As much as I love McTominay, and, you know, the reality is we let, like, Ander Herrera was better than the two of him and uh, two of them, and he was let go. Um, and, you know, nobody can say that he wasn't a player like Sanchez, who, who was a bad influence or, you know, didn't, get the club or give us all, you know, Herrera was, Herrera was our shithouse, you know, we all loved Herrera, um, it's, it's same even with like, with Juan, with Juan Bazaka, 
like he I had a bit of an argument with someone yesterday about his tackling stats. But you know, I just think Wan Bissaka just he looks so good when he has to play against a really top class winger from a from a, a top team. But then yeah, like when you're playing, you know, for, for a way bigger majority of the games, you need your right back to be good in the ball. And he really struggles to have any positive impact in possession. Um, and then, you know, Dan James is a man for playing on, on the counter attack. He, he's kind of... He was he was anonymous put, against Watford, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's kind of... But like that's, you know, they took him from Swansea, Sam, when realistically there was no other Premier League clubs were really in for him. So it was always going to be a big ask for him. And he has done well, and he's probably a good squad player, but it's normal for a player who's taken that leap to kind of... Sure, his like, age, I mean, bit, yeah, it's fair enough. But a, uh, newly, a bit like a newly promoted team, almost. He's kind of slowing down now. He's probably finding it a bit difficult. So, yeah, they, they, there's just... But, uh, yeah, at the core, there is, it, like, they don't need to rip up. It's all rebuild this, rebuild that, but there's... I still think the managers could, could get a bit better out of, of what we have there. I suppose I'm not as big as fan, but one kind of highlight, and, and Solskjaer said it after, was or one positive, was Pogba look, coming off the bench. <clears throat> he, looked, uh, he looked pretty sharp, but I'm not sure Solskjaer really knows how to use him either. He wouldn't be the first manager to struggle with that problem, but like... Um, like earlier on, in, like United have struggled in these kind of games at the back end of last season, even when Pogba was there, and at the start of the season when Pogba was there. He's did, Pogba's world-class ability, even if you, I don't like him, but there's no dispute in that. But at the start of the season, Solskjaer was playing him in a holding midfield role, I, I, which, which is probably not... He doesn't have the tactical discipline, but if you're playing on the counter-attack and there's space, he's the man to pick out passes. But again, against teams... You know, with a, with a lower block, he, he's not going to be able to pick them passes. So, if, yeah, hopefully he can give us a bit more creativity when when he comes, when he starts playing a bit more regularly. But we struggled even when Pogba was was in the team. So I don't see it changing too much. Um, Jesse Lingard there, the definition of this shite about getting the club is Jesse Lingard. He brings energy, Solskjaer says. Like, he's All right. number, yeah. number two. Essentially. No, but Sam, he's no, no, I know. But Jesus Christ, I mean, fuck, you're right. You're right. We don't need to hear any more. I mean, I'm just, it's just, uh, it's just more. And to be honest, the end of the pod's going to get fucking depressing as well. Uh, so, that, was that was that a rant? Or? Uh, it was, it was verging on one. I think, I think I stopped you just in time. Uh, let's, let's lighten the mood very slightly and uh, do a second round of the quiz. So the usual thing applies. I'm going to say a whole load of uh, players that are teams. Or sorry, a whole lot of teams that a player has played for and you identify the player by the teams that he's played for with an extra point if you get the festive pun that goes with the players this time. Uh, so this player began his career at Blackburn Rovers. From Blackburn then had a couple of loan spells at Swindon and also at Newcastle before making a permanent move to Newcastle. Ant, Ant. Ant. Shea given presence. Uh, I'll give you one point... For the correct answer, but I had sleigh given. 
Slowly given. <laughs> Come on, it's still, it's still a Christmas board, so to I'm be fair, given give presents, presents. Give, presents is pretty good as well. Yeah, you're right. Fair <laughs> enough. Two points. I didn't have a spell at uh, Celtic, shall I give him, no? Uh, well, not according to his Wikipedia. Oh, his youth, his youth career, but his, his pro career started at Blackburn. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I would have got a ride. Is that 6 1, Pete? Is that 6 1 to me? <laughs> it's 6 1. It's 6 1. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one more, and Peter, because it's, it's, the pun is such a stretch, right? It's a serious stretch. But if you get the pun right, you'll win it outright, okay? Peter. Okay. Uh, so, this player began his career at Carlisle. Joseph. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's just every Christmas related thing he's thinking of. Go on, Ant. Joseph Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> no, and um, and um, Keith Kell because Kell's a winter sport. And no, no, a... no, 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 no. Uh, went from Carlisle <laughs> to Derby. Peter. Peter. John of Nazareth. <laughs> no, went from went from Derby to Southampton. Round John Virgin. No, went from Derby to <laughs> Southampton. <laughs> Filippo McMother and Child. <laughs> and no, and no, no, no room at the inn. <laughs> no, it went from Southampton to Sunderland. I have a feeling now. What else is Southampton to Sunderland? Um, Ant. Oh, Peter. Peter. Um, Ant. Ant. I had that before, please. Ant. Is it, is it um, Rory the Lap? It is Rory de Lap. Do you want the pun? Rory the um, Lap and on an open fire. Yeah. P- Peter, what? La- yeah. Rory Lapland. Rory de Lapland. Very good. Peter wins. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm like 6 1 up here. I'm like, I follow the shit. I really have no idea there. I basically, you said Rory de Lap and I just got the pun. So. All right. <laughs> Atkinson down to the Christmas quiz and Martin Atkinson yeah I'm getting Martin Atkinson alright listen we'll call it a draw that's it Uh, let's just uh, well that was too much fun we should have ended with that because now it's probably going to go down a little bit Uh, prick of the week Ant I'll start with you Um, oh god where'd you start isn't it Um, yeah I mean I don't, it's not. It's not nice to talk about, is it? Um, it? You know, whoever the Muppets were making them stupid gestures towards towards Rudiger. You know, I hope they find them. I know before that I was reading before the pod, they were saying that the searches have been inconclusive. True, so but it, you know, it, it's been both ways. Apparently, there's been there were. Uh, oh. God, I, it's just, it's so fucking depressing. Uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea support has been arrested for alleged, uh, for racially abusing uh, Son. And obviously, and obviously, Rudiger um, was complaining to the ref about the monkey chants and stuff that were, were directed his way. Uh, it's just, it's just fucking. It seems like it's never ending this year, doesn't it? You just can't help it, can you? It, it's almost. I don't know. I think it's, um, it's almost like they're emboldened the you, you can't just tell them to follow a protocol as well and think that's enough. I think um, there, there's a serious greater issue. Um, you know, without going too deep and, and, and delving outside the football, there are some. There are, you know, I think England at the moment, in general, is a very divided, um, unhappy society at large, and maybe that's boiling out and bubbling over into football. 
um, and it's manifesting itself. But it, it, whoever's done that, you know, making silly comments. What, what's, a, what's the worst thing about it? On top of all the bad stuff, is we're now talking about this when we should be talking about what a great game of football it was. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it's the 21st century. Spurs are in this brand new, brand spanking ground. You know, the, the, the eyes of the world are watching the Premier League with all the shiny stadiums and great players all over the world. And you're still getting idiots from like, Stuck in the nineteen seventies or whatever it is, you know. Well, and like and we do we don't live in the UK, right? Uh, so, and, and I know I'm I'm, I'm talking to like a a white guy, <laughs> but like, do you notice the difference in the United Kingdom in the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's not obviously again, as you rightly say, I, I'm saying this as a, as a white. Um, white guy from a from a you know a, a predominantly white city uh, from from Liverpool and stuff, but I, I think it's it's become more out in the open. People are getting bolder on social media, whether it's bots putting stuff out there and to, to deliberately throw up um, to muddy the water and, and and throw up problems. But uh, people are, people seem tenser and angrier and far more divisive. You know, as you know, there's no there's no sort of middle ground anymore. You're either in one camp or you're in the other. And I think that's kind of boiling over into all aspects of society. And you're getting that in football. You know, football is, you know, England's biggest pastime. As Neville said on Sky yesterday, it's one of our biggest exports. Um, and, you know, it's, it's right under the microscope every single week, dozens of cameras and microphones. And, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be on the front line there. I think this is exactly where you're seeing it. And as I say, you're following a few protocols. is not really going to, you know, solve some of these greater societal issues, I suppose. And that's where I think that's where some of the criticism of the FA is a little bit. Well, like you feel like saying, "What do you want the FA to do? They haven't got a magic wand. They need to do more, definitely, but they haven't got a magic wand to go and cure all of society's ills, which are bubbling over into football." Um, so yeah, okay, you know the, the knuckle draggers are always going to be out there, and you can ban them from the ground, and you can do things. I actually endorse the idea of walking off the pitch. I think we're all here to be entertained. And if if the entertainers are turning it off and they're stopping stopping the sport, stopping the game, stopping your fun and your enjoyment, then I think that's going to have a reaction. I actually want you know um, I wanted them to do it at times, like against Bulgaria. I don't know why they didn't just do it. So they saw it. You know, let's just walk off. What's what's your wife going to do? You know, start it in a high profile game, England. You know, eyes of the world watching it. There needs to be something big to happen um, for it to stop. For, for it to tie. Like, Something really dramatic for it to stop. Uh, otherwise, we're still going to get these half, half measures and DFA, you know, fighting a battle they can't really win. If I'm being honest with you. Yeah, but like, and I think one and like absolutely hats off to Gary Neville to like come out with such a, you know, to speak with such poise and 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 speak so accurately. Well, well just yeah, clarity and accurately. I yeah. think. Um, yeah. And, like, I think one of your issues then as well is, like you said, there's no doubt that people with these opinions feel emboldened um, because, of, you know, the reality, if people think Brexit doesn't have anything got to do with this, they're absolutely kidding themselves, not the pe- same people who voted Brexit are all racist by any stretch of the imagination. But a lot of that campaign was fought on, you know, anti-immigration and, and there does seem to be a kind of, you know, we're going to get these. You know, you know, it, it. There does seem to be a really, like you, you, like you've said it yourself, Ant. There does seem to be a lot more um, anger and aggression, and people just being more open about um, expressing that in society now. And I think that's also that's. It's not just in 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 England. It's 
it's it's part of the social. This is this like in in future years they look back at this time and think like that was like a social media experiment almost because it's it's given everyone a voice and everyone doesn't deserve a voice. That's just the harsh reality of of the oh, world. Right. Um, and like it's just created so much yeah like you said everything's black and white these days and like then people were always there but they just didn't have the voice and there's absolutely no doubt like neville said it himself when you've you know if, if people might might have thought these things before but they never said it but when you had you know when someone's just been elected to become prime minister of the country who's blatantly yeah. made racist remarks several times in the past like well, what do like the fans actually think something really is going, bad's going to happen to it? Because it almost needs to become governmental for it to be really cramped down on. And I don't think most people would have too much faith in in a lot of what you know. The, the no, well, well, why, why would you be afraid that something's going to happen to you when if somebody says things like that, they get voted fucking prime ministers? Exactly. Neville's Neville's so refreshing because Neville's talking candidly and openly. And, you know, we just don't really get that in, in English politics and, and even the media, you know, everything's spin. And I think that's why there was such a backlash on uh, David Jones's reaction, because he, he felt compelled, obviously, somebody's in his ear. But, oh, you know, that's not the opinion of Sky, that's the opinion of Gary Neville. And and I think that's kind of it. You know, even if somebody makes such a, a blatantly right and correct point, there's always got to be a counter-narrative to it, a counterpoint to it. Yeah, but the point is, in this in this situation, it's like, one point is racism is bad. It's like, sorry, Dave, what's the other point? Do you know what I mean? It's not like... <laughs> this wasn't a two-sided debate. Like, there, there is no possible, right? you know... Like, yeah. The only counter-debate is racism's okay. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, so, like, I'm just having to, trying to have a balanced debate. Like, this isn't a balanced situation, David. It's just one is shit and one is, like, not okay. But anyway... To be, to be fair, like, I, I think I said to you before we came on air, Dave Jones... I, I follow him on LinkedIn and he does seem like a thoroughly decent bloke and he's forever on, on that platform trying to help other people make get a break in, in, in the football industry and giving people advice. I do think... I, I do think yeah, I mean, he, he's not the guy to be moderating that debate. And to be fair, I don't think he was expecting that and he probably had a producer in his ear giving him a big yeah. one. But like at the same time... Well, it was good to see it from Neville, and it was good to see an actual chat and debate on it, and hopefully there'll be something good comes out of all of this bullshit. But it seems like uh, it's been too many times this year that our Prick of the Week has been racist fans. But unfortunately, once again, that's who our Prick of the Week is. Um, it's a sad way to end the show uh, just before Christmas, but take care of yourselves, lads, and stopping pricks to everybody. Just have, have a good time. <laughs> have a great Christmas, and uh, happy Christmas, I think, from all of us here at the Football Faithful. And make sure you subscribe, and actually, as a present to us, could you tell your friends who don't listen to us to start listening to us, and that'd be great. We'll see you back here uh, as soon as we can for a new episode. Just subscribe, and we'll pop up in your feed, and there's just time to say thanks and a Merry Christmas to Peter. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, lads. Enjoy that. See you in the new year. Cheers, Ant. Cheers, lads. All the best, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Merry Christmas. And, uh, And for me as well. We'll see you next time.